0: Welcome to About Progress. I'm Monica Packer, a regular mom and recovering perfectionist who uncovered the truest model to dramatic but lasting personal growth. It's progress made practical. Join us to leave the extremes behind and instead learn how to do something to grow in ways that stick. When we fail at our habits, we find ourselves shaming and blaming ourselves, but women often miss the important fact that we must do habits differently. And it's not because we're weak, it's because we're not robots. To learn why, check out my free class, The Number One Reason Why Women Must Do Habits Differently, at aboutprogress.com habitclass. My husband, Brad, and I recently celebrated 15 years of marriage, and we just got takeout that night. It was a day after I had surgery in my finger. So it wasn't anything special what we did, except we took some time to reminisce about all that we've done and experienced together over the past 15 years. And it made me think about what we worked on and overcome together as well. And one of those things includes our issue with conflict. It may not be what you initially think. Our problem was more of a lack of conflict. Due to both of our people-pleasing natures, we found for many years our avoidance of conflict was creating, well, conflict. With more awareness and time and work, of course, we finally learned to face our fears and get better at conflict. But do you know a fascinating word for managing conflict well that often comes up, negotiation. If you think that term is reserved only for those in business or law or otherwise, you're wrong. In fact, there are rules to negotiation that can help you better handle conflict within even your closest relationships. And this is for even you, the former people pleasers like myself, and Brad. Today, our guest Kwame Christian will teach you his negotiation framework to successfully resolve any conflicts that you are facing, starting internally. Surprise! (laughs) Kwame is a best-selling author, lawyer, professor, and the managing director of the American Negotiation Institute. His work has helped countless individuals overcome the fear, anxiety, and emotion associated with difficult conversations using the compassionate curiosity framework. He's also the host of Negotiate Anything podcast and Kwame is married to Dr. Whitney Christian and they have two sons, Kai and Dominic. All that professional bio is well and good, but let me tell you the main draw I had to Kwame initially. It's that he admits right away He is a major recovering people-pleaser too. Kwame, welcome to About Progress.
1: Monica, thanks for having me.
0: I was telling you I'm a coach and a lot of the women that I work with are recovering perfectionists, just like you and I are. And as we're learning to not be such perfectionists, we're also learning how to get away from people-pleasing. And then people don't like that, (laughs) especially the people we're in close relationship with because they're accustomed to us being people pleasers more. So we're going to be talking about conflict, especially as you know, we're covering people pleasers is kind of what we're calling it. But I wanted to start with you because I love how your story has inspired your work and what you do and your wisdom that you have to share with us today. So can we start with your own experience of conflict growing up and what that was like for you, how you handled it and how you have learned to change and how you handle it?
1: Yeah, it's it's really interesting, Monica. For me, I grew up in a house where open communication was was valued, and um, I think for me, my people pleasing came from uh, my my childhood, not from the family side, but more so from like growing up as the as an other in a community. So I'm a first generation Caribbean American. Uh, my dad's from Dominica, my mom's from Guyana. We moved to a small town in Ohio called Tiffin and so wow. we were very very different I, mm-hmm. I have the statistics in my book but i think out of 18000 people in tippin only 200 of them were people of color and then wow. we were the uh, we, we had accents and everything like that so we really stood out and so i remember in on the playground i was the only black kid in my school and one time in first grade, I went to one kid um, during recess and I said, Hey, can I play with you? And they said, no, I go to another kid on the playground and say, Hey, can I play with you? And they say, no. And then I go to another one, same thing. And then the bell rings and I tried to keep it together. But then when I got in, I just started bawling, just started bawling. And my teacher said, what's wrong? I said, nobody would play with me. And so that day at that age at six, I said, this will never happen again. I will never feel this way. So I said, all right, I'm going to make sure that everybody likes me. I'm going to befriend everybody. And so when I was growing up, I was always the most popular kid in school after that. There was a strategy I executed and it seemed like I was winning, but I was compromising all the time. I wouldn't speak up when I wanted to, when I needed to. And it didn't feel good. And so I thought this was just how I was going to live my life, how I was doomed to be forever. Uh, but then when I got to law school, I stumbled upon negotiation and it was the first time I realized that this is a skill, not a talent. I can actually learn and improve and, and grow in this. And so we had negotiation competitions at the, at the law school and my partner and I, we won the, the law school competition. And then we That's were able cool. to represent the school at the American Bar Association competition in Ottawa, Ontario. And we won wow. that competition as well. And I was hooked because every single time I stood up and did it, it was like a vote in confidence for the man I ultimately wanted to be. And so for me, I knew that the negotiation conflict resolution was going to be something that I wanted to do, but more so it was going to be something that I wanted to share with other people. And it just speaks to the, the motto of the American Negotiation Institute. We believe the best things in life are on the other side of difficult conversations. And so for us, we want to help to make the world a better place, one difficult conversation at a time.
0: When I initially heard that word negotiation, I mean, I jumped to business, people who are making things happen or yeah, law, like what's going on in our Congress or, or not, you know, and it's, it's one of those things. I never would have thought that that could relate to my own personal life and, you know, what I'm kind of hearing you say is after 20 years, maybe, maybe more, maybe a little less of, of compromising yourself, negotiation became a key to stop compromising. In other words, not compromising in a healthy way, like compromising in a really unhealthy, damaging way. So can you make that connection for us, for people who are like, how does negotiation work for me? If I similarly have years, if not decades of compromising myself in a damaging way? What does that look like?
1: Yeah, I think first, what we have to do is get a definition for negotiation. And so when I use the term negotiation, I'm trying to rebrand negotiation, change the way that everybody thinks about it. So anytime you're in a conversation and somebody wants something, that's a negotiation. And so it's not a question of whether or not you negotiate, it's just a question of whether or not you're doing it well. We're all negotiators. And so I really want to change the way that people think about it. And it's just like anything else. We have to have that growth mindset and believe that we can improve through diligent application of the the practice. But one of the things that I realized, Monica, and this this is what led me to write the first book, Finding Confidence in Conflict, is that in the negotiation industry, a lot of times what we're doing is we're just giving recipes to people who are afraid to get in the kitchen. So people would ask me, "Hey, I'm a people pleaser. How do I negotiate? How do I stand up for myself?" Mm-hmm. Um, but that doesn't—that's not the issue, because the, I can tell you exactly what to do. That doesn't mean that you'll actually do it. Yeah. And so the the first book, probably about eighty percent of the book, is just about how helping people to overcome their psychological and emotional barriers that's the key that's where we have to start everybody has there, there's there's something that leads to their performance gap there's something that hold that's holding you back there's some kind of belief that you have that you might not even recognize that's operating beneath the surface and controlling the decisions that you're making so the first negotiation we have to have is with ourselves we have to look inside of ourselves and figure out what's holding us back address that and then we can get to the skills
0: so how did that look for you? Um, I'm thinking about your own gap because that clearly that, that moment of, of, of winning this negotiation, I'm, I'm already getting the terminology wrong. Is it a conference?
1: Yeah. <laughs> what, competition. Competition. There we go. <laughs> I was like, it
0: starts with the C. So you won this negotiation competition, right? Like that's a mm-hmm. huge moment, but I'm sure there was this still like this huge professional gap, but also personal gap. How did you begin to realize I need to start with myself internally? What did that look like for you?
1: Well, for me, it was there there were layers to this because I studied psychology. That was my undergrad degree. And I think uh, a lot of people are surprised when they hear my approach to negotiation because they're like, "Hmm, that's not what I thought a lawyer would sound like <laughs> when they're talking about negotiation." Yeah. But then when you understand like psychology is my base, it makes a lot more sense. And so I started to think about it as a phobia. A social phobia and reverse engineering it using kind of cognitive behavioral therapy, self-directed CBT. So what we do is you have to identify your thought patterns that are holding you back. What is it? And then you need to be uh, mindful about replacing those thought patterns that are both true and more helpful. And so for me, it was the fear that if I stand up for myself, if I say what I believe that I'd lose friends. And then I realized No, number one, standing up for yourself does not necessarily mean that you will lose friends. And number two, if that does lead me to lose friends, then they weren't friends in the first place. And so I started to think about conflict as relationship tests. Every single Mm -hmm. conflict is an opportunity. It's an opportunity to solve problems. It's an opportunity to learn, connect, build relationships. But it's also an opportunity to test relationships because Mm -hmm. the unfortunate reality is, is that sometimes the friend that we have is not the friend that we need them to be. And the relationship needs to be either downgraded or maybe even removed. But conflict is a tool that helps us to ascertain whether or not this is the right relationship for us and either make the relationship better or remove the relationship with minimal damage if that's the necessary route we need to go to.
0: know this is an episode I'm going to have my daughter listen to. (laughs) Um, I see, I see this being super helpful because there's this fine balance of advocating for yourself, but also knowing when it's time to let go when it's not going to go anywhere, which is I'm now realizing a huge part of people pleasing is wanting that end product of someone being happy with you. And you Mm -hmm. have to kind of let that go.
1: You have to let that go. You have to let that go because I I think bringing in a little bit of the stoic philosophy here is helpful because we have to focus on the things that we can control. And a lot of times what we're trying to do is we're trying to place our worth into things that are outside of our control. And um, we have one tool because for whatever reason, maybe it worked for us in the past. Maybe we have these cognitive distortions like I described, but whatever it is, we think people pleasing is the path to Our version of happiness. And the thing that's really frustrating is that over and over and over again, we are shown that it is not the path, but we don't know any alternative way of living. And so for me, it was really eye opening that there is an alternative and it's within our control and it is attainable. The solution is simple, but it's not easy. That's the thing. It's uncomfortable, but it's necessary. And so we have to take that step. There's no way to make this super easy, but ultimately it's worth it.
0: And I can see one of the hardest parts is that worthiness piece you brought up because, you know, with that end product of someone being happy with us, what we're also wanting in that end product is a reflection of self. And we're putting that on someone else to show us this is who I am. I'd love to hear more about your thoughts on that. I mean, I know that's kind of a a big idea there, but.
1: Oh, yeah. No, it it makes a lot of sense because essentially what we're looking for is validation, social validation in some kind of way. I want Monica to like me. If Monica Mm -hmm. likes me, then I'm a good person. Then I have value. But what I started to focus on is, do I like me? Because at the end of the day is if everybody likes me and everybody's having a good time, but I'm not, Mm -hmm. then there's something wrong with that. And so what I started to do was shift from the fear of failure to the fear of regret would I regret not having this conversation? So a lot of times what I, I, we have to recognize that our emotions are signals, but it's ultimately up to us to determine what that signal means. So imagine, imagine you're on a, in a car ride and you're driving. Your hand always needs to be on the wheel. Your emotions are in that car. You will hear them. You can listen to them, but they cannot have their hands on the wheel, right? Yeah. But sometimes our fear will put its hand on the wheel and say, hey, you know there's a problem. There's a problem that you are only experiencing. They're not experiencing it. The only way that we can address this problem is by saying something. But our fear will say, but don't say anything because it's not worth the risk. And so what we have to do is shift from short-term thinking to long-term thinking because our emotions will lead us to make decisions that satisfy us in the short term. Hmm. But then what ends up happening is we regret not standing up for ourselves and having the conversation. And so when I get that signal, that fear, it doesn't go away by the way, Monica, I still feel it today. I stop and I have to shift my perspective. And so I ask myself, Hmm. Kwame in 10 years, what would he respect right now? I don't want to disappoint him because at the end of the day, I, I am going to be spending a lot of time with me. yeah. And if I do not respect the man that I am today, then that's that's a major problem. And so a lot of times Kwame in 10 years directs me to have conversations that Kwame of today does not want to have, but it doesn't change the fact that I need to have it. And so regardless of the outcome of the conversation, I need to make him proud. And once I started to focus on getting validation from the right person, which is myself, then it started to help me to make better decisions.
0: So, and this is where I feel like I'm not going to contradict myself because <laughs> in like many ways we do, like, I want some ways, ways for the, the listeners who are ready to shift from the fear of failure, driving how they're handling the conflict to more of that bigger picture, more fear of regret oh, how can we help them know where to start? I mean, first we're like, go deeper, right? But let's mm-hmm. kind of break down what this looks like when you're working with people.
1: Yeah, so let's focus on the internal side first. Um, I think what would be interesting to, to do first is have people describe the feeling that they have before the conversation. What is it that I'm feeling? When there's a conversation that you avoid, what is it that you feel? And mm-hmm. then break, down, break it down because- a lot of times we haven't done that process. So the, uh, th- my approach to conflict resolution is called compassionate curiosity. And so it's a three-step process. First step is acknowledge and validate the emotion. Second step is get curious with compassion. Third step is joint problem solving. And so it's pretty clear how that operates in a conversation with somebody else. And it was specifically designed to not only be valuable for the external conversation, but also for the internal conversation. Exact same framework. So acknowledge and validate our own feelings and beliefs and emotions. Um, Then get curious with self-directed compassion. And that self-directed compassion is really important because a lot of times our internal critic is so judgmental that it stops the introspective process short. And then the third step is joint problem solving. And here it's reconciling the differences between our hearts and minds. So what would satisfy me emotionally? And then substantively, what should I actually do? What's the change in the world that I wanna have? So if we use that same process in, as an introspective tool here saying, hey, what is it that's holding you back? This is what that internal dialogue could look like. What, it, what am I feeling? I'm afraid. Okay, what else am I feeling? I'm feeling a little bit insecure, all right? Insecure in what? I'm a little bit insecure in my skills, okay, anything else? I'm insecure in the relationship. I'm not feeling really safe right now in the relationship. All right, what else? I think that is I think that is about it. And so it's important to keep asking what else because usually we feel multiple things at the same time. Now we're getting curious with compassion. So what are you afraid of? I'm afraid of losing the relationship. What else? I'm afraid of being the, labeled as the bad person, like the instigator. It seemed like everything was going okay. I don't want to be the person who's causing problems. Um, What else are you afraid of? Well, I don't want this getting out that I I am uh, difficult to work with. Okay. Anything else that's causing that fear? No. Okay. What about the insecurity? What's driving that? Well, I haven't taken the time to practice negotiation or learn anything about it. So I don't really even know how to navigate this conversation. All right. What about the insecurity in the relationship? Well, I've never actually stood up for myself in this conversation, in in this relationship. So I've always gone with the flow. So I don't even know how this person is going to respond. Do they just like me because I'm a people pleaser or do they really like me for me? Okay. Anything else? Nope. Okay. Next step. Reconciling our differences between our hearts and our minds. So what would satisfy me emotionally in this situation? Well, let me run away and not have this conversation. Then I'm not afraid (laughs) anymore. All right. But does that address the fear and solve the problem? No, it doesn't. Okay. So that's not a solid answer. All right. Well, I want to do something that I would... I would respect in the future, I would regret not having this conversation. And um, well, what should I do? Well, I should have this conversation. But I should also make sure that I, I do a little bit of research on how I should structure the conversation, I should prepare and write out what I'm going to say beforehand. And I should also make sure that I give myself a timeline because fear masquerades and over overthinking a lot of times. So I could just think myself to death and not have this conversation. So I'm going to have this conversation by tomorrow at 5 p.m. And I'm going to prepare as much as I can before then. And so that's an example of what that introspective process could look like as we're breaking down what those internal barriers could be.
0: ago, I got to this plateau in my personal growth. I had worked really hard on defining myself and expanding myself, but I felt stuck again when I could see that my day-to-day life was not supporting that self. In other words, I had to work on my habits. And friends, that became a years-long journey you now get to benefit from in my course, The Sticky Habit Method. This course is designed for real habits for real women, meaning those of you who have responsibilities that require you to have a very flexible, reactive life, which is honestly every woman I know. In this course, you will learn not only what habits are, but how to create them in ways that stick. You'll also see a completely free bonus module I call the Bad Habit University, where you will learn how to conquer your bad habits in ways that stick too. You can check out the course at aboutprogress.com slash stickyhabitmethod. So we start internally and, you know, it's interesting on that last point in particular where you're pointing out how we can belabor just the pr- the preparation going into it, I, I was just literally coaching someone about this th- um, yesterday about a, a conflict, you know, within a relationship and and her trying to plot out what she needed to say coming into it. And um, the thing we kind of came to the conclusion was it was less about exactly what she said and even how she said it, it was more about who she was arriving to the conversation as like her being her mm-hmm. true self, which comes back to a lot of Thankfully, your psychology background and how you were able to use that to better do that internal work so that you can bring that radiant self to these hard conversations. I love that internal process. And I heard you say we this is also the same externally, like when we are talking to the other person.
1: Exactly. Yeah. So we should assume in many cases, there's going to be some level of emotionality. So we're going to label that emotion by saying things like it sounds like it seems like or I can tell that and then we're going to provide a label, an emotional label. So reflecting
0: back how they are feeling
1: exactly okay yeah so it, it seems like this is uh having a, a significant impact on you or it seems like you're a little bit surprised about, by this or i can tell that this is really frustrating to you mm-hmm. whatever it is you label it and then you validate what they're saying they're going to vent for a little bit you listen you summarize you don't counter what they're saying not at this point okay. you just listen and summarize and reflect that back reflect back that understanding it's all about empathy at this point then mm-hmm. when you see the emotional temperature in the room start to drop then you shift to getting curious with compassion you're asking open-ended questions with a compassionate tone to get the other person to share what are they thinking how are they feeling what is what's their perspective mm-hmm. and then as you feel as you get to that point where you feel like you have a full picture of what's happening then you shift to point number 3 which is joint problem solving this is just collaborative negotiation we're just going back and forth working together On how we can solve the problem and so it's not me versus you it's you and me versus the problem we're working together to try to figure it out but the emotions in the room often are the thing that hold us back the most and we don't have tools to address it so this allows us to address the emotionality and flow during the conversation and it makes it less likely for you to make a mistake because you're speaking less (laughs) you're giving them the space to speak so i want them to speak about 70% of the time, I'm only speaking 30% of the time. And that just makes it easier for it to flow. But the nice thing about this is that you don't need to remember any lines. You don't need to come up with any zingers or have any like really robust negotiation tactics. Just flowing through this process helps you to know what to say and when to say it for maximum impact.
0: It also counters this fear. I think a lot of us former people pleasers have that in order to not be a people pleaser now, I've got to be like a shark. Like I have to like go after exactly what I want, never settle, have really strict boundaries. Um, While of course a lot of that is valid, you know, boundaries, especially, I love that this is not binary. It really, it really is that joint problem solving part to it. It's compromise, but not compromising of self like you did for so long. It's, it's actually true compromising. 100%.
1: 100%. And so when people listen to my podcast and read my books and things like that, I don't want people to, to say, I want to negotiate like Kwame Christian. I want them to say, I want to negotiate like myself, just a better version of myself. If you're not authentic, then it's not going to be persuasive and you're not going to feel good while doing it. If you're trying to pretend to be somebody else, then the conversation isn't going to flow because you're trying to remember what you're going to say and the character you're supposed to be playing. You just, you're yourself but you're flexing different parts of yourself at different times, but always being authentic and true to who you are.
0: Just like want to slow clap that <laughs> that that alone changes so much for me. It really does call me. curious I mean this this framework I love how it's both internal and external that is such a great framework can you share an example of maybe someone who has gotten better at this because of the framework and the internal work they've done even if it's yourself and I want to challenge I, I know you are so like good at the business stuff but like maybe more of an outside of business example just because most of the people listening aren't really ready to like uh maybe negotiate a salary necessarily but more something more personal.
1: Yeah, there's so, <laughs> there's so many examples. I think just I think those here's an example. So it it starts businessy but it isn't. Uh, so I remember one time i was doing a training for the people in the army who are in the procurement department so they buy all of the weapon systems for the army so like billion dollar deals crazy right and so in day two of that presentation when i came back i was just asking about some of the takeaways and we taught compassionate curiosity and one of the people said you know now i have an opportunity to rebuild my relationship with my sister I didn't know how to do it before, but now I do. Like <laughs> yeah. somebody else in in a sales training, when we talked about um, personality, he's like, "Oh, my son, it was is I'm just realizing now the difference between us is I'm an extrovert and he's an introvert. We're always clashing, and it was it wasn't even like a, a topical clash. We would we were just communicating very differently, and now I know how to break through. Like for me. The honestly like the branding the negotiation is a branding to the that gets money in the door to get the business flowing I can't do this unless I can sustain my family yeah. right but for me this is just a conduit for for the like real change in the personal life
0: what people couldn't see is my jaw literally dropping when you shared that for example like what was your takeaway oh I can fix this relationship and I bet that was like well, I'm sure that wasn't surprising for you at that point because of all the work that you've done and, and how Absolutely. much you've helped people. If there is one small way people can get started on everything we talked about today, <laughs> what would that be?
1: The next time you have a difficult conversation or the opportunity to have a difficult conversation, number one, have the conversation and number two, use compassionate curiosity. That's really it. And we overthink it. We overthink it. You need to do it <laughs> and use the tool. And that's what I tell people all the time. If, for me as a business lawyer, I use compassionate curiosity when I'm negotiating with opposing counsel. When I'm talking to my wife, I use compassionate curiosity. When I talk to Kai, my seven-year-old, I use compassionate curiosity. Dominic's only one, so you know I don't really <laughs> need to use it <laughs> with him. Come but I'm using soon. this eventually you will be ready. Right. Um, But I I use this all the time. It's just a mental model, a really simple and smooth conversational framework that you can use in every single conversation. You just code switch based on who it is. So when I when I talk to Whitney and she says, you sound like a lawyer, that's not the right tone. (laughs) Brought the wrong tone to that conversation. So I adjust, but I still use compassionate curiosity when I'm using compassionate curiosity with opposing counsel. I'm a little bit more assertive, but I'm still me. You know, so I think you don't need to learn any more tactics. You don't need to learn any more tools. You just need to have the conversation and use the framework and treat every opportunity as a chance to practice. And one last thing, you can win every single one of these conversations. You can certainly win every single one. And this is how you need to reframe what winning is. And so you're winning if, number one, you're putting yourself in the best position to succeed you're doing your absolute best. You're using the skills and tactics that you have to put yourself in a winnable position. So if there is a win, you'll find it. (laughs) And then the next one is after the conversation, replay the tape, treat yourself like your own coach. What did I do well? I want to do more of that. What did I do poorly? And your goal is to not make the same mistake twice. And so with every single time, you're incrementally getting better. If you're doing those two things, you're winning regardless of the outcome.
0: Beautiful. I love every part of this. Um, I'm, I'm going to ask you one more personal question before I, I want you to, you know, tell people where to go because you have, you know, you have your books, you have your podcasts and we'll, and we'll do that next. But I'm just curious personally, like what, what your life is like now, like, where are you at with people pleasing perfectionism? What's, what's changed for you and what, what are you still working on there?
1: I'd say this I'm I'm a lot better when I when there's a conversation that needs to happen I usually have it um but I think what's interesting is that it comes out in different places sometimes when you're not expecting it and so as I've leveled up in my career and my business the difficult conversations with my staff has been more challenging Mm -hmm. and so I think it's because when when I do business I try to become the person's friend like I consider you a friend now we've talked a couple of times right that's just the way that I relate to people but Mm -hmm. that vulnerability and connection makes it tough to to make tough decisions sometimes so it's, for instance, if I have to, to lay somebody off, like that's a tough one. Like mm-hmm. there's, there's just no way to make that easy. Like, that, that's one that I struggle with that I put off for a long period of time because I genuinely care about people. So I'm, I'm realizing that as a leader, that is challenging. And I know that when it comes to making those types of decisions and having those types of conversations, it would be a lot easier if i was more callous but i don't want to become that kind of person and yeah. so i think there's a a challenge when it comes to like vulnerable leadership because you connect with people and then there are some business decisions that will hurt people and that's something that i i struggle with and the the interesting part about that monica is that i don't want to ever not
0: yeah and, and that's vulnerable leadership, right? Thank you. Thank you so much for sharing. Kwame, this has been, this has been a real gift for me. Thank you. Thank you for not only your life story. My heart is still breaking about the first story you told us. Um, thank you for your hard work, you know, for your advocacy for others too, as part of that. I mean, that's really what you're doing. It's like, it's advocacy work in the bigger picture, I think. So, I want to make sure people know where to go who want to learn more from you. Where would you have them?
1: Yeah, so I appreciate the the kind words to my, uh, so check out the podcast Negotiate Anything, we're seven days a week we have amazing guests like Monica Packer, you might have heard of her um, and then um, check out AmericanNegotiationInstitute.com if you're interested in learning more about our trainings and workshops and in 2023 we're going to be coming out with uh, something really exciting it's going to be a, uh, a community a learning community That's of great. like-minded people who want to get better and we're going to have different tiers so it's going to be inclusive. So if you want like the highest tier that has a course and things like that, it's going to be a certain price point. We haven't determined it yet. Um, but if you just want to be part of the community and learn with others, there, there's going to be access. And and I'm super excited about that too.
0: Awesome. We will link to all those things as well as your books and the TED Talk too that, that yes. you sent my you. way. And I loved it so much. So uh, Kwame, thank you again. I appreciate you. My
1: pleasure. Thanks for having me.
0: I hope this episode gave you the hug and kick in the pants that you need to grow. I'm now going to share the progress pointers from this episode. These are the notes that I take so you don't have to. And those on my go-getter newsletter, get them in a graphic form each Wednesday. Number one, people-pleasing is consistently compromising in damaging ways in the pursuit of having our sense of self validated. It either comes at a cost or doesn't work in sustainable ways. Number two, Negotiation is a skill that can help you better navigate conflict without the damaging effects of people pleasing. Number three, start by identifying what beliefs you have about yourself that are holding you back. Then replace those thought patterns with those that are both true and helpful. Number four, anchor into validating yourself and leading conversations, (coughs) negotiations with a long-term in mind. Shift from fear of failure to fear of regret. And number five, utilize the compassionate curiosity framework starting internally with these three steps. A, acknowledge and validate emotions. B, get curious with compassion. And C, move into joint problem solving. Your do something challenge for this week is to have a little conversation using some of those techniques that we just said with that compassionate curiosity. So acknowledge your maldated emotions. Maybe we can just have a conversation with that one for starters. Before we go, A reminder that I'm on maternity leave and that means while I did the work ahead of time to make sure this podcast is still going, my own marketing of the podcast is taking a major backseat to me cuddling my baby. I'm likely doing lots of laundry, of course, and because of that I rely on you, the listeners, to ensure this podcast is being heard by other people, outside of our typical group. So if you can share this episode with one friend today, I'd be so grateful. And bonus points if you can leave a rating and review on your podcast app. Thank you for stepping up in ways I'm choosing not to right now. And thank you for listening. Now go and do something with what you learned today. The fear way of handling that conflict and more uh to to what let me let me find it my notes here i can't read my own handwriting right now which is the problem oh yeah (laughs) you said you shifted from fear to what was it
1: the fear of failure to the fear of regret
0: oh okay there we go seeking the truth never gets old